Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today in Town Packers podcast. My name is Griffin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Braun, and we're here to talk about the Packers' devastating, devastating loss to the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. Three-point loss in overtime. Broke all of our hearts. Braun, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling all right. You know, that was definitely one of the more gut-wrenching losses in, the, in a long time, definitely. I mean, obviously, the way it ended was so tough. Um and the fact that we were able to get into overtime made it even tougher. And then obviously the turnovers that made Rodgers really never have a chance to really get it done in overtime for once. Uh, it made it tough, but I'm doing all right. What were your thoughts on the game, Griff? Yeah, it was it, – this really felt like a playoff game. It felt like this was really the first game of Matt LaFleur's career that went into overtime. I don't think he's played an overtime game yet in his coaching career. And uh, it was one of the one of his five losses that weren't complete blowouts. So that's a silver lining you can take from it, I guess. We were able to hang with a, a tough team, uh, and we didn't get our asses kicked completely. So that was nice coming out of that. But still, the three-point loss, four turnovers, six offensive plays in the third quarter, just not being able to move the ball when the Colts were rolling on offense – that's where you really have to look at where the Packers lost this game. Other than, you know, obviously the MBS fumble, which literally ended the game. But uh, there were many points in this game where the Packers could have pulled ahead. The Packers could have uh, punched back against the Colts, who were punching hard on the offensive side of their ball. And uh, they just didn't. And that's where they came up short. So uh, what are you thinking after this game, bro? Well, the one thing that obviously stood out was the the turnovers. They were the game changer, really. Even though, you know, we didn't, they didn't score points off those turnovers. They only ended up with six points off of our four turnovers, which is, uh, it's pretty impressive by the defense to be able to stop them on those short fields and things like that. Um, but that was the, the turnovers kept us from scoring and it kept us from adding on and it kept us from winning the game at the end. So for me, that was the deciding factor. The, the reason, uh, the reason we really lost in the end. It's been every almost every week this season that we come out of a game and I'm saying that, all right, there were a lot of bad things that happened to the Packers that, you know, they usually don't happen. So you can't count on these to happen every week, but they are happening every week. And these fluky turnovers keep appearing in the Packers games. You know, the, the miss, the, uh, the fumbled snap on the first drive, the, so annoying. that was such a killer that was such uh, a was. killer we it were we were moving the ball so well I was so impressed with what we were doing against that Colts mm-hmm. defense that came in ranked number one obviously the first play we knew things were going to be good because Rodgers hit, hit yeah. Adams on a deep shot when that happens you know on the first play Rodgers knows what's going on and he's already exploited something and there's so much more left on the table for that those two guys and they had a lot of success and we'll get down to that especially in that two-minute drill um, at the end of the game that got them in position to get a field goal. But, uh, you know, that, that connection was on all night. And just something about the way the game transpired, uh, just it, it fell out of our laps, really. And you're talking about we went up 28 to 14 at half. Um, and, and you think you're in a good position to kind of shut the door, add points, but then the turnovers start to come at the worst times, and it, we're just never able to close that gap when we start losing and we were never able to, you know, add to the gap when we were ahead. Yeah. And from the fumbled snap, I was thinking, Oh God, this might be one of those games that we've talked about, Ron, where just nothing goes right for the Packers and all 
piles on top of each other where it turns into a blowout or a tough loss to a horrible Vikings team. Uh, but that didn't really happen mainly due to the fact that similar things were happening to the Colts on offense. Phillip Rivers threw a, uh, an interception. They had a couple fumbles as well. So luckily it didn't turn into a complete bloodbath for the Colts, but uh, if we're continuing to see these, these turnovers keep happening for green Bay, which is supposed to be, has the quarterback who's the, the least turnover prone quarterback in like NFL history. Uh, we didn't have a fumble through the first five, six weeks of the season, I want to say. And it's so weird now where we just turnovers are literally killing this team. Well, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm concerned about the turnovers because I'm not, I, I think Rogers is, is not going to be throwing picks. He's just not going to do it. It's happened twice. I feel like the one against the Jaguars and the one against the Colts, they were both just like defense makes a good play. Rodgers makes a fine decision, uh, you know, a little bit of a miscommunication. Whatever the case is, like I, I'm not concerned about Aaron. The problem for me was the way the special teams played. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things we could point to. And one big point that I'll make in a little bit, but the special teams has just been so bad this year and it has been for a long time. Uh, when was the last time we blocked a kick. When was the last time we blocked a punt? When was the last time yeah. we, you know, when was the last time we got a punt return for a touchdown, a kickoff return for a touchdown? These when was the last time we got positive Bay, yards? Yeah. It doesn't happen. Not with the, not with the special teams that we play because for whatever reason, we just never get that kind of level of play from our special teams. Our punting has been atrocious this year and that's JK Scott. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with him right now. He punted for less than 40 yards, 40 yards or less on every punt against the Colts. That can't happen. I indoors? mean, just, indoors, indoors. I mean, this guy we, we drafted and he can't even kick in the cold, let alone indoors. I mean, like this is just, I don't know. I don't Here, know what's going my, on. Here's my take on JK Scott. He's never been a good punter and he's always been a bust. He's, he's, ne- he's like, never been. A, he's never, he'll make a kick once in a while. He'll make a nice kick yeah, once in a like while. He's like due for three really nice punts a year, which is probably below league average. When was the la- I mean, like think about the last time JK Scott dropped one inside the 10. I don't yeah. even remember if that's ever happened this I year. I remember. Yeah. Just look at everywhere on our special teams. And it's, you know, even with Tyler Irvin in there, he's not gaining many yards. But when we saw the Colts purposely kick to Darius Shepard outside of the end zone to let him catch the ball and run, we knew he was due for one mistake because he's at least going to make a, at least one yeah. fumble if, if you kick to him every, every single time in the game. And, and obviously that happened. And that, to me was the most crucial play of the game. Not the MVS fumble because a lot of things went hap- happen on that play and that, you know, I give him a lot less uh, gripe than I than I do for Darius Shepard because he's just been bad. I mean, he has no value to this football team and they continue to put him out there on offense and they continue to put him out there on kick returns without Tyler Irvin in the lineup and it's just bad. I mean, this guy didn't get past the 25 all but once and then the one time he did, he fumbled. I mean, that yep. tells you, if that tells you anything, I don't know, but <laughs> and yeah, then and- to talk about quickly, uh, what MVS did, uh, he made great plays in that game, including obviously the before half deep ball into the end zone that gave the Packers the shot at the one to get a touchdown and go up by two scores. And then to put the Packers in position to get a field goal, he caught a 50 yard deep ball from Aaron in triple coverage. So I'm going to give this guy more credit than blame here in this situation and Griff, if you want to talk about that last play a little bit. 
well, just to touch on the special teams, as uh, as the game went on, they continued to kick to Darius Shepard outside of the end zone, and he continued to get uh, not past the twenty five yard line. And just thinking about how Matt Lafleur said this week that it was gonna that the Colts have a phenomenal special teams, and we're gonna need our best special teams performance of the season. And Lord, we did not get that. And Sean Menenga, I don't, I don't know. I'd say he's an improvement over 2018 Ron Zook, who was probably the worst special teams coordinator that the NFL has ever seen. Uh, I don't know how much of an improvement Sean Menenga is, and I don't know how much he knows what he's doing. I because it's it's just nothing's ever going well on special teams. But um, <clears throat> as for MVS, uh, yeah, it's. It's tough with that guy. We got the full MVS roller coaster on Sunday because he's so, so good. He's so good, and you really see the flashes of excellence, and you see how he could become really a great, deep target in the NFL, one of the best, which you could argue he is one of the best, but you know, you're getting all the you're getting all the valleys with all the peaks. And yep. yeah, we're getting the valleys when he fumbles in overtime on the second play of the drive, which was just brutal. It was it was just brutal, and I I just had a gut feeling that something was gonna go wrong on the. You just I drive. mean, yeah, that's there was no other way. I mean, of course, Aaron Rodgers finally gets the ball to start in overtime. Finally gets the ball to start, and the ball gets taken out of his hands. I mean, yeah. it's just the worst. It's the worst feeling in the world when I when that ball came out. It's just like, is this a joke? Like again, mm-hmm. is this what's happening again? Like whether it's Ty Montgomery in the LA Rams game, that's what, you know, Darius Shepard's fumble about, reminded man. me of the that's MBS fumble. That's exactly. I mean, that 2018 game that, I mean, when you're talking about the LA Rams were undefeated, this was a game we had to go out and win and we had a really good shot to do it. Rogers had a chance and Ty Montgomery takes it out, fumbles the ball. The rest is history. This situation, two fumbles took away Rogers chances to win this game should have been won on many different occasions and now we're, you know, obviously we're sitting here seven and three. So just, uh, you know, but the blocking on that MVS play was not great. Obviously the uh, Julian Blackman, the safety uh, for the Colts, young safety, he, uh, he made a good play on the ball, punched it out kind of similar way that Raven green punched the ball out uh, earlier in the game uh, in the first half. Uh, but it just, you know, it was devastating, such a devastating moment. Um, that felt like a playoff game. If when, when we lost, it felt as bad as losing a playoff game. Uh, but the good part of it is, you know, on the bright side, this game didn't mean all that much in terms of, you know, seeding and things like that. We've got a lot of games left to play that matter a lot more. So if we're going to lose a game like that, it, it might as well be against a great, you know, number one defensive team in the AFC. Uh, and it gives us a chance to learn from the game, grow from the game, and use it uh, for for the weeks to come in this playoff push. Yeah, for sure. And coming out of this game, it's just so the main thing for both teams really was turnovers. How many turnovers did the Colts have? They had two or three, right? I think yeah, yeah, something like that. But so turnovers are relatively fluky; they're not very consistent, which is the train I've been riding on all season. They continue to happen, so I don't know how true that really is. But you know, this is a fluky game going up against the the best defense in the NFL, granted a year where defenses really aren't that good this year, but the best defense in the NFL statistically. And we took them to overtime. We were up two touchdowns at halftime, you know? So it's I think if we played this game back, if we did a seven-game series with the Colts, I think we'd win in five games. I think we'd win in six games, you know? Uh, I don't think this is a team that's better than the Packers. I think it's just 
it happens. This is football. Any given Sunday, it's a very fluky game, very high variance. You know, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, we just came out on the wrong side of this one. Well, yeah, we did. But I feel like the one thing for me was the fact that this season, as a team, rarely, if ever, do we play consistent football in all three phases at the same time and play at a high level in all three phases at the same time. And that's called complementary football, and that's something we struggle with mightily. Uh, Just look at this game in general. In the first half, offense was clicking, defense was clicking, uh, and we never can put it together for a a full 60 minutes of clean, consistent football. Because if we did, we'd be looking at a a game where if we played like we did in the first half and the second half, uh, then we're talking about a blowout, maybe 50 points on the Colts. Uh, but we just couldn't. Special teams cost us points, the defense cost us points, and the offense cost us points. And it, and it all came together in the second half where we were all playing bad football in all three phases. So for me, when you look at that, I think that's something we have to improve on. You have to play a high level of football um, in all three phases at the same time in order to win. That's where domination comes. That's where success comes. Uh, because then you don't give the Colts or any other team uh, an avenue to to make plays and gain momentum. Yeah, I agree with you. Rarely do we ever see in the past two years really that both the offense and defense are all are both playing at a at a special level, and we can pull away from these bad teams or even win games like Sunday's game. Uh, it's always either we're winning because of the defense and the offense struggled, or the offense was so good it didn't matter how bad the defense was. Uh, it's never really the complete elite dominant team that you're looking for. But I don't know. I feel like as we move along in the NFL, we're seeing that defense doesn't matter as much as the offense. I mean, look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs defense is horrible. They got carved up by uh, Vegas on Sunday night, and it doesn't matter because their offense is so good. So I'm less worried about um, that particular instance than – than you are, Bron, but I, I get where you're coming from, and it is frustrating knowing that these phrases where we've seen both sides of the ball play really, really well, but it's always one or the other that's having a really bad day. Or special teams has given us issues, or special and, teams, that's, yeah. and that's caused us. I mean, it, it really has to be. If you want to win the Super Bowl, you have to put together stretchers where you can play at a high level in all three phases because then that shuts teams down. You need to, you like I said, you can't give any any good team an avenue to come back because there will be a situation where you're playing good on offense and, and you're playing good on defense, but you fumble a kickoff. In a tight game, that's what separates teams. So it's all, all of that. You, you suffer uh, a punt return for a touchdown. All those things, they, they just come back to bite you. And, and a great team has to learn how to do that. And I still think there's time for that for us. And this game was a great learning experience, and we're going to have a good chance to grow from this. And like I said, it wasn't as costly of a loss as it, as it would be if we lost to the Chicago Bears. Um, but, you know, there is room for us to grow, and we're 7-3, and three, so that, that should give you some hope. Uh, but, Griff, just talk to me about this offense a little bit. What did you see on Sunday? What did you, what did you see in the first half? What did you see in the second half? specific players that you want to talk about. Let's let's kind of break what we did down, uh, you know, on the offense in both halves. Well, I thought I thought the offense played really, really well. And, you know, take out the third and most of the first qu- fourth quarter, which I know is almost half the game, but uh, they only played six snaps. They were up 28 to 14. Six snaps later, they're down 31 to 28. 
So I will give them six six snaps of uh, margin of error there because outside of that, they were pretty much excellent. And it's the it's up there with the peaks that we've seen from this offense this season. Certainly a bounce back game from the Jacksonville game, much uh, against a much worse defense, oddly enough. But um, I, I guess you could take that as it really shows that offense is just a bad offense is just beating itself, especially in, in Green Bay, because whenever we're not moving the ball on offense, it's always because of something we're doing. And uh, we were really clicking. We were really clicking on Sunday against the Colts. I felt Aaron played a very good game. I'd say very solid game. Take out the interception, which was, you know, not a great throw, but I'll give him that. And mm-hmm. here's the thing with the interceptions. Sorry, just to go off on this real quick. He's thrown four of them this year. That's a high number for Aaron, who is, uh, you know, Mr. I don't throw interceptions. But how many throwaways have there been this season? I was thinking about this earlier. How many times has he thrown the ball away this season? That's been such a talking point. In not as much. Yeah, hardly yeah, any. Yeah, not as much. So I will take these four interceptions on the year if he's not throwing the ball away and we're getting the 78-yard touchdowns, the MVS, and the big 200-yard games for Devontae, you know? Wow, that's a great point by you there because you talk about how we've been, as an offense, wanting to play in rhythm more. If that throwaway stat doesn't tell you anything right there, I mean, that that's a key stat when you're talking about that is, throwing in rhythm. That is the opposite of throwing in rhythm, throwing the exactly. ball away. It's just, it's exactly, right. Yeah, exactly. So when obviously the throwaways are going to come when you know the first read's not there or Rodgers is looking to do something else and there's nothing there. So when he's throwing in rhythm and there's a lack of throwaways, you're talking about this is a guy that's in rhythm, he's comfortable in the offense. And I feel good about where he's at, especially throwing the ball because we see I don't know, you know, on Sunday two really impressive throws, deep 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 shots. Uh the one at the end of the second half, excuse me, the one at the end of the first half to MVS um, that got called for a, a penalty. That's so annoying, pass interference. That, a, that was a drop in the bucket. That would have been that was shot. a sixty-yard bomb, and he just yeah. flicked his wrist. I mean, that guy so impressive on that throw. And MVS <laughs> got held. His arm was getting held down. He would have made the catch. And it's, I, I that was unbelievable to me. That was one of his best throws of the year. And obviously, it didn't count towards the stat sheet. But and then yeah. we talked about that one to MVS and triple coverage, gorgeous throw. A little underthrown, but I mean, how much can you ask of a guy when he's throwing in, in his own end zone uh, to the yeah. 50? So I, I just thought he's – I think he's throwing the ball really well this year, some of the best football he's ever played. And it's great to have that um, when you're talking about trying to go to the Super Bowl because when he's playing at his best, you know we have a shot. Yeah, and here's another thing that we've talked about this season. How many times has he tried to extend the play this season? That's way down. I, right. It's it was such an issue last year, especially in the new offense. You know, it's so anti extending the play. It's so anti backyard football. This offense, and, yes. And Mike McCarthy's offense, maybe that's yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's more celebrated and appreciated in that offense. But in what we do with yeah. with Matt Lafleur, obviously you're going to want to do the the design stuff because the idea is to come out quick, get the ball out you know, and then eventually get down and score, move the change type stuff. And it all revolves yeah. around the running game. It's about consistent efficiency. And even in Mike's offense, though, in 2018, our offense was pretty bad. It's because Aaron, you know, he had the injured leg, but it's also because he's just getting older. And it's harder to produce doing that when uh, when he was, what, 34 at the time. So it, we've been saying it since then that we'd like to see him play more in rhythm, hit the check down when he has to. Take what the defense gives you rather than trying to extend the play, trying to be super Superman on every single play. 
And I think we're really, really seeing that this year. And it's easy to forget because of how well he's playing. But this is a completely different style of football that we're seeing from Aaron. We're seeing him really thrive as the pocket assassin because he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. He's gotten one of the quickest releases in NFL history. This is where we all knew he would thrive. And uh, he's playing really, really well. And it's, it's inspiring for sure. And one thing with this offense where I see that there's room to grow is within the running game. And, and we know how much this offense is, is dependent on how well we can run the football. Obviously, with the play action stuff that Rodgers has to do, that Matt LaFleur loves to call, you know, the, the run alert stuff. I mean, we got to run the ball and we got to do it at a high level. But we just, ha- it hasn't been that same, what, even that we saw last year, it just hasn't been that way this year. And I think if we can get that going, that's just another element of improvement that we can that we can go and get uh, to add to what we're doing on offense. Right now, this year, obviously, you see with the passing numbers, Rodgers has 29 touchdowns. You know, he's fifth in the league in yards. With those numbers, our offense is is obviously throwing the ball a lot more. But the key here for us is to get this running game going with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Hopefully, AJ Dillon come when he comes back. Tyler Irvin with motion when he comes back. To get that going will be huge because it'll provide what we're looking for in that the Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones combination, where if all three are playing at an elite high level, teams are not going to be able to pick one and stop them. It just can't happen. They have to account for all of them, and that's when our offense is most deadly. So I still don't think we've reached our peak yet, and, and I'm looking forward to what we can do with the offensive line is getting back healthy, and that's good news. Hopefully Corey Lindsley's not out too long. Uh, but with Elton Jenkins in there, we're still good. And I just think that if Aaron Jones can get going, uh, open up some running lanes for him and, and start to run the ball in big chunks like we did last year at times, uh, I really feel good about what we can do with this offense. Yeah, I would tend to dis- disagree just a tad there. I do think the running game has definite room for improvement, and it's they're not playing as well as we would expect them to, not not playing as well as they did last year in the run game. But uh, I think I think passing I think passing more would be more beneficial for the offense in all honesty with Aaron Rodgers playing the way he is. I think I think sometimes I mentioned this last week. I think sometimes Matt LaFleur with his run calls, second and ten specifically, which he did again on uh on Sunday. Uh, I think that can I think that just kind of kills a drive. And when you get a run that doesn't go for much yards on second or third down or even first down, it just it kinda I'd I'd rather see Aaron playing in rhythm, spreading the ball out. And it doesn't have to be 10, 15-yard throws. It can be substitute four-yard rushes with four-yard passes, which we are doing a lot of. And that's why we're uh, we're not very high up in the rushing ranks this year where we were in other stats uh, last season, especially inside the five, inside the 10. Last year, Aaron Jones got so many touchdowns because every anytime we got inside the 10-yard line, it was an Aaron Jones rushing touchdown every time. Now it's turning into an Aaron Rodgers touchdown pass, which you know I, I like to see as a fan of Aaron Rodgers. But yeah, I'd like to see more more passing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to to watch Aaron Rodgers, you know, pick up touchdowns and you know creep up in the MVP race. But you know, for me, I wouldn't necessarily say we have to run more. I think we just have to run more effectively. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's that's really my point because I think obviously with Aaron Rodgers on the field, our biggest threat, our biggest weapon is throwing the ball to Devontae Adams, obviously with Aaron Rodgers. So that's the key. But to have the the real 
the real X factor for our offense is to have the running game clicking because if that's going, it makes it so much harder to prepare for Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, that connection. Uh, obviously, Robert Tunyon is coming on of late, and he looks fantastic for us, kind of the tight end that we haven't had in a while. Uh, although we have had him for a while, we just haven't used him. But uh, and, and then obviously Alan Lazard coming back into the fold. We talked about how MVS is really showing a lot of bright spots for us. Um and you know, throwing Tyler Irvin in there on on the short stuff. Hopefully, when he when he comes back soon, just you know, putting all that together, I feel like if we can run the ball effectively, it'll put us in even a, in an even better spot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, I agree with you there. And we're seeing the rushing success rate way down on the O line, especially from last year. And that's something I don't know. Maybe it's Brian Balaga, Lucas Patrick being in, Brian Balaga being out of it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. They've had a lot of injuries there, but they have not had the blocking. They have not had the running lanes that they had in 2019 for Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams or anyone else uh, for that matter. So getting that going definitely turns us into a, a more dynamic offense. I will agree with that. All right, Griff, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, in the first half, things looked surprisingly good. It might have been our first I, – I think it might have been the best uh, half of football on defense that we've played all season. For me – Watching these guys wrap up, swarm to the football, tackle with strength and authority, um, punch the ball out, Raven Green. Uh, I thought the defense was playing at a really high level. Zadarius Smith in the first half, all those guys, everybody looked good. Kenny Clark looked great. There was so much disruption, so much just tenacity in in the defensive play. And I think it really – for me, the safeties were the biggest proponent of that. Uh, Adrian Amos had a few nice plays in the first half. We talked about Raven Green getting that punch out. Huge play. He's a great tackler. He showed that on Sunday. Uh, and then Darnell Savage had a nice pass breakup, couple couple run stops. We need that. We needed that group to improve, and we needed that group to play better. And last week in the first half, and even towards the second half, uh, you know their their play didn't fall off. Those three guys for me, uh, were huge parts of why we had success on defense at all. And, and I think that moving forward, they're going to have to be the key contributors to what we do in order to uh, play at a higher level for a full 60 minutes on defense. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, really. The safeties have been phenomenal. Adrian Amos is playing out of his mind the past few weeks, the past month probably. He's been playing so well. And Darnell, we're seeing him more closer to the line of scrimmage inside the box, letting him just attack the football because he's so fast, he's so dynamic as a defensive threat. Uh, I think that's really where he's thriving, and he's making plays behind the line of scrimmage week in and week out. It's it's fun to see. And then Adrian Amos is great in pass coverage. He had a really, really nice pass breakup uh, in the Colts game. He had interceptions back-to-back weeks, I believe, didn't he? Yes, he did. And Darnell Savage, you know, we talked about that. As, as these weeks have gone on, we've mentioned how we'd like to see Darnell Savage closer to the ball uh, because his talent is really getting wasted out there way deep, deep back in the back trying to prevent these big plays. And then, you know, when a guy does get out there, his strength isn't tackling or, or making angles and taking angles on tackles. Uh, his strength is see ball, get ball. Uh, and, and his best and his best abilities are shown when he's closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, he can still move sideline to sideline to stop the run. And, you know, he's going to look at the quarterback's eyes and he's going to follow the ball, follow his eyes and make plays on the ball in that way. So I feel like his talent is being put to use right now. And you got to give Mike Pettin, you got to give the safeties coach credit for that. 
Um, just, you know, to be able to make that kind of adjustment uh, is crucial to not only his development, but the defensive success overall. Uh, so I'm pretty pleased with that. And we're going to talk about, you know, what other things this defense needs to do. I think this week showed a lot of things on defense that we're going to have to talk about. Uh, we're going to have to adjust. Um, and, and I see a couple things, uh, starting with different defensive coverages at different situations. Um, and we'll get into that. Yeah, well, on Darnell Savage real quick, it's so easy to make mistakes when you're up high in a cover three shell as a single high safety or even as a as the number two safety up there. It's so easy to make mistakes, and he was making a lot of them. He was really one of the lower-end safeties in the league up until we started playing him more inside the box, close to the line of scrimmage, like we said. And he went from kind of – we drafted him thinking he could be the Earl Thomas player for us, and now we're using him more as like a – like like a Buda Baker kind of just letting him play. Read, that's exactly react, yeah. That's ball, the exact guy. The yeah, that's the so guy that, you want to point to. That's that's our that's our Buda Baker really because he's going to fly around, try to get the football, and also make plays in the running game. And and really they they have great comparable uh, skill sets. And you know that's that's our guy right now. He needs to keep getting better. And and as the farther he gets into this role, the more success he'll have, the more comfortable he'll be. And that's the key here. We still have a lot of improvement that can happen, and it starts with these little things. And if we can keep doing these little things, this defense will gel as a whole, and I hope that we can have a similar path of what we did in 2010 where the run game, run defense was poor uh, the whole season, and then things just started to click as we adjusted a couple little things as time went on. And then by the time the Super Bowl came around, that run defense was playing at an elite level. Uh, so if we can just make these make these mistakes now, and, and learn and grow from them as a team, uh, these things will we'll look back on them and say, you know, they were lessons for us that we had to learn uh, in order for us to get where we want to be. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, just on the, on the defense as a whole, I believe the Achilles heel of this defense, no matter how much talent is put into this defense, I think the Achilles heel will always be Mike Pettin himself, the man, the myth, the legend who had another really, really rough game in crucial moments on Sunday. And going into the game, I had a feeling, I had a feeling this would happen. Phillip Rivers played very well against uh, the Packers last year as a Charger. And once again, he, when it mattered most, at least he, he had a, he was really efficient in the passing game. And once again, we got, it, it wasn't at the first half, the run defense was very good. It was very surprising how well we were playing it. But, you know, as it goes on, as they get the fumble on special teams, as they keep getting the ball back, it got worse and worse. Luckily, we kind of got bailed out with all the holding calls. Thank God. But, um, yeah, Mike it was Patton, like we I gave just... up. It was like we gave up. I mean, we walk out of the locker room in the second half. We've got a 28 to 14 lead. And it's like we gave up. I mean, they just started just moving downfield at will and it was a complete 180 from what we were doing in the first half swarming to the ball aggressive tackling you know there's there's no that wasn't a soft defense like we were talking about that team was not soft we didn't see a soft defense out there everybody had their head on fire I mean we were playing at some of the best football on defense that we've played since the Matt LaFleur era began in that first half I was super impressed with the improvement that we saw mm-hmm. the idea is to now get to a full 60 minutes of that And, you know, I don't know whether it was the fact that we had that 14 point lead and guys started celebrating a little bit, you know, whatever the case is, not that, you know, they shouldn't be happy with that 14 point lead, but guys got a little complacent, maybe a little bit too comfortable with that lead. And in reality, you know, there was a lot, there was a whole 30 minutes of gameplay left. And obviously that came back to bite us. Yep. It sure did. And just to, just to highlight a play where, 
Mr. Trey Burton scored a touchdown in the first half with Preston Smith one-on-one with him playing a look like cover three, but uh, Preston Smith had full responsibility with him straight down the seam. And that does not look like a very wise, wise thing to do in my opinion. Well, no, yeah, it's not wise. In fact, it's, it's one of the worst decisions you can make as a head coach putting (laughs) a, I mean, what is he? 250 pounds plus guy. I mean, this is, this is getting ridiculous, Mike. I mean, come on. This is getting ridiculous. You can't be putting these 250-pound guys with a 6.540 time out there uh, to cover these tight ends. And no matter how no matter how versatile you want your guys to be, there's just some things you don't do, and especially in the red zone. Gosh, I mean, what are you thinking there? I, I don't yeah. know. I, I'm tired of seeing it, and you know, I love Preston as a player. I still think he provides value to this team. Uh, I'd like him to focus on rushing the passer, and that seems like a lot to ask it for some reason, although he is a pass rusher. Uh, he's a run defender and a pass rusher, although he's not doing great at those things either at this point right now. But I, I still think I'd rather him focus on that uh, and as opposed to you know, being in coverage on receivers and tight ends. And I don't know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And that is something I hope they adjust along with another thing I'm going to talk about here, the coverage situational defense by Mike Pettin, where you know, one of them was a third and 13, got to get the ball back. And oh, we play this really soft coverage, so soft that we're playing our guys uh, behind the line to gain. And obviously they throw a short pass and he runs up and gets the first down. Now here's another <laughs> thing we're talking about where this, this cushion stuff has to go. Uh, you've got the best corner in football and then you've got another decent corner in Kevin King. Put their talent to use. Let them handle Great those guys. Safeties. Great it's not, you're right about that too. They'll Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, they're going to come and break up a, a pass that gets close to the line of scrimmage. But instead, they're 30 yards away from the ball. Jair's 10 yeah. yards off the ball, and by the time the place, by the time the play ends, and and Ty, Ty Hilton catches the ball, uh, those guys are at the you know 15 yards past past the uh, line of scrimmage when it's third and 13, uh, and that's in in the end what uh, what is basically giving yards away, giving first downs away, and giving points away. Uh, to an offense. At some point, you got to trust your players. You got to trust Jair Alexander and Kevin King to man up, jam the receivers at the line of scrimmage on third and long, and trust that they'll make a play or trust that the pass rush will get home. It, you, I'm so sick of the, the just wait for them to catch it and then go tackle. It doesn't matter if they're past the sticks, which they almost always are. In the third and 13, I had absolutely no confidence that they would make a stop there. Same with the uh, the third and 16 late in the game on their last offensive possession where they then got enough yards. They gained 12 yards, I believe, and then went for it on fourth and four. Neither of those plays did I have any faith in this defense because it's just Mike Penton. I, I struggle to know if he knows what he's doing out there. Because it it's every week there's some kind of baffling baffling thing that he does that is just the horrible horrible for our team and the fact that we have so much talent our pass rush is not horrible our pass rush isn't as good as it looked last year but it's not horrible we have players our, we have corners we our safeties are playing fantastic why are they so bad every week well another thing not to you know things are not great but. This is just another thing to add to the mix. Every week we see Zadarius and Preston try to get off the snap faster than the snap. And this week it really, we saw penalties get called on four different occasions. I mean, that is, that is rough. That is just taking yards away. Have they ever once done it? Have either of them ever done that successfully? In last year, 
Yes, we saw Preston, yeah, Preston do that did a couple it once times. Dairy. In the Preston, yes, it's happened. Uh, but you know, a referee any given Sunday could make that call as a penalty, just because that you know it looks it looks like he's he's uh, jumping over the line before the snap. Uh, it's about timing it up, and you know, there's a difference between timing it up and making it so blatantly obvious that you're gonna jump before the snap, and then he, you do, even though you know what they're gonna snap it. You can't. You got to wait and time it up. Uh, and to me, you got to trust your skill set as a pass rusher, uh, not just try to cheat your way to a sack. I mean, you know, there's a there's a difference between getting past the guy that that's in front of you and and trying to outsmart him, and you have to you know balance that. Uh, but in this case, they're just trying to outsmart those guys and, and beat beat them to the punch basically, and it's costing us penalties and it's it's not a good situation. So that's got to be toned down a little bit for sure. One thing to be optimistic about, I'd say, is that Rashawn Gary seems to be getting more snaps. Seems like he's uh, kind of taken away some of Preston Smith's snaps that he was getting early on in the season, and it's probably for the better of the defense because Rashawn Gary had probably his best game of the se- of his probably his entire career on Sunday. He played really, really well, and he's starting to really just use his power and just he's stronger than the guy in front of him and he's trusting that it's no more finesse no more trying to spin move this way move that way i'm going to swim over you it's just i'm going to push you into your quarterback into your quarterback's lap and it's been working out for him really and uh i'm i'm i've been impressed by uh what we've seen from rashawn gary yeah he looks good i mean he's got a lot of promise he's athletic he's fast um and we're seeing a lot more of him uh, overpowering as opposed to him trying to speed to the edge and get curled around the quarterback. Oh, that, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when he does that, when he He's just tries to always, take off and get around the tackle. Yes. Yep. I mean, and, All the quarterback you know, has to do is step up and he's out of the play. Exactly. And and that's, that's what's happened last year. You saw that for sure. And that was his main issue. And, and it looks like he's overpowering guys a bit more. And that's a coaching thing. Um, so that, you know, props to the coaches on that. Mike Smith, obviously. Uh, as the O line back uh, outside linebackers coach, uh, it's good to see that. And um, you know, if you're going to be able to have a guy who, yes, he has that speed, but also has that power, he, he obviously works hard in the off season. You see that. Um, it's good to see him producing. You know, he made some good plays. He made a play last week. He's made a play the week before. He's starting to you know show up on the stat sheet, um, and he's also showing up when you're watching the game as well. So it's definitely I'm excited about that. He's playing really well against the run, too, I'd say. Just watching him on specific plays, it looks like he's one of the best run defenders we have out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the interior defensive linemen continue to be an issue, in my opinion. Tyler Lancaster and Dean Lowry, just total non-factors in every game. It's it's the Kenny Clark show inside there on the line because they, they're just, they get washed out. It doesn't matter who they're facing. It just seems like they get washed out of every play. Yeah, it's definitely something that is a problem. We still are vulnerable in that area. Uh, we're gonna have to see a collective uh, improvement, you know, in the middle of that defense. I thought, you know, you you mentioned Tyler Lancaster. He he'll 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 make a nice tackle, you know, every game or two. Yeah, he's due uh, for every a nice tackle once a game. I'll right, Dean Lowry will make a a play. He'll you know he'll get to the quarterback once or twice a game, or excuse me, once once every couple games. Uh, but another guy who has shown up uh, for the Packers in the middle is Billy Wynn. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. Yep. He, he's batted balls down in crucial spots. He's applied pressure. Uh, he's done some things. I, I mean, he was a midseason pickup. 
and he looks pretty good. He's been in the league for a long time, got on the Packers practice squad. They've elevated him now, um, and he's made some plays, and, and he looks like he could be an improvement uh, over some of the things that we're doing right there in the middle now. Uh, so I, I can't say I'm happy about what's going on in the middle, but I, I'm satisfied with what we're doing right now and, and what we've got uh, ahead here. Uh, especially with Kenny Clark getting in a in a groove here as he gets back in the fold, so I, I'm not too concerned really. We're just going to have to play better, and and it starts with execution. So, yeah, interior defensive line is one of the positions that Brian Gutekunst has clearly shown he doesn't really value as much as other positions. He it, it, he's kind of ignored it, maybe not ignored it. He's tried to sign players like Snacks Harrison, who just chose not to come to us, but uh, it, he hasn't invested a ton into that position, but uh. S- things to think of optimistically on the inside would be our linebackers christian kirksey and kamal martin i thought they both played very very well on sunday and uh that's a very interesting tandem and they're both athletic and they're both above competent i'd say which is an improvement from last year so watching kamal martin fly around the field break up uh screens you know just make plays all around the field it's impressive and kirksey obviously had the big interception those kind of uh, right in his lap, but it's it's important to have guys who can make those plays. And so I really like that tandem we have in the middle. It's enough. It's enough. And uh, they're not gaping weaknesses that we've seen um, from yeah. that position in the past. Right, yeah. I With Kirksey, he he didn't play amazing on, on Sunday. He was... He was vulnerable at times. There was that one touchdown that um uh, that that one Colts receiver had that was just a basically short pass taken all the way. And and Christian oh, yeah. Kirksey looked like he was running in slow yeah. motion on that play. So I feel like Kirksey has a little bit of a ways to go here, but he's making plays. It's you know you take the good with the bad with him right now. Uh, and but look, he's better than uh some of the guy. I don't even know at this point. I can't even remember some of the guys that we've had playing at that position. Uh, over the years besides Blake Martinez. So I'll, I'll take it. I mean, Kirksey will get in the groove as he gets back. He's still only a few games removed from not playing football for two years, plus missing games this year. So as long as he's healthy, I, I still think he's got a good chance to be good for us. He's a great leader in the locker room, and I think his play on the, on the field will improve as well. Um, but the depth is something I'm more excited about. Now, Kamal Martin is a guy that we need to see on the field a lot more. Uh, and the same thing with Raven Green in that same nickel linebacker spot. So next to Kirksey, uh, I, I think I need to see these guys on the field more. Raven Green, we talked about, he had a great game. He's proven time and time again that the defense is better with him on the field. And Kamal Martin is just, he brings something that the defense has nothing and nothing of. And, and that's just ferocious tackling. Uh, he's just aggressive. Yeah. He's just aggressive. I mean, he's a guy that's not afraid of, of getting dirty. He's just something about him. He's so so good in that way in stopping the run. He can cover guys in the passing game, and he's just not afraid to do any of it. And then obviously Chris Barnes, undrafted kid, looks good, uh, and he's good depth there too. So when he comes back, that'll be great. And to have three guys that you can pretty much, you know, you can be comfortable with, that's not something we've had in a long time. Yep. And Raven Green, Raven Green, and Kamal Martin are two players on. Pretty, pretty excited about in their futures as Packers because Raven Green, you touched on just, he looks he looks really good. And he's a guy that we've been excited for for a few years now, but he's really, he's stayed healthy. He's playing consistent snaps and he's in the game every week and he continues to make plays. That forced fumble was amazing. Uh, I don't know if we've had uh, a guy quite like Raven Green 
on the Packers defense in quite some time. You're right about that. He he brings a different element. I've mentioned this 150,000 times, but his, yep, his versatility, <laughs> his, his strength, his speed, ability to cover the pass, ability to stop the run, the muscular addition that he's brought in two straight seasons. He's just a great piece. He's, he's athletic, and he just brings a lot to the table. So Mike Pettin needs to continue to put his skill set to use. Yep, 100%. And we're going to move on here to the preview of the Chicago Bears game coming up this Sunday night. At Lambeau Field. Should be a good one. Our first matchup with the Bears of the season. We play them again week 17. So this is the the first matchup. It's at home. Sunday night. Under the lights. Uh, the Bears. Horrible offense. Can't do anything. Can't throw the ball. Can't run the ball. And it looks like they're going to have Mitch Trubisky back under center. Which I, I'm a fan of that. I, Nick Foles is not very good at all. But uh, Mitch, Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky, I think, <laughs> gives the Bears a, a much lower ceiling. And when they can't run the ball, I, I struggle to see them being able to do much on offense against the Packers on Sunday. Well, with Trubisky, they, he kind of brings an element of being able to run. I mean, he is that guy that can run the football from the quarterback spot, and not to the level of a guy like Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, but he can he can move. So, you know, that's something that we've at times struggled with as a defense uh, over the years, and this dates back to you know, some of the Dom Capers defenses that we've 2012, had. 2012, Colin yep. Kaepernick. Yes, and that comes <laughs> to mind. Uh, but, you know, he he's not as good of a passer as Nick Foles, and Nick Foles isn't a good passer. So uh, I'm I'm confident in what our passing defense can do. But you, you mentioned they haven't been running the football well. They're getting David Montgomery back this week. Not that he's been good this year, but you never know because this past this uh this rushing defense is not great for us i mean we still have to show that we can do it for a full 60 minutes this is a good chance for us i mean this is a huge game if chicago wins this game they're down by a game for the division we'll still have the lead but it will be seven and four they'll be six and five and they'll have a win over us and you know then things could spiral out of control at that point uh so this is a big one for us to go out prove ourselves get a win um, and even if Mitchell Trubisky's playing quarterback, whether it's him or Foles, if he can somehow go, or if neither of them can go, Tyler Bray, uh, whoever it is, the Packers' defense needs to be ready, and, and the Packers' offense, they're going to have a, a bit of a tough matchup against a, a defense that knows this offense well, and, and we know this defense well. Yeah, unless Mike Patton commits to 10 defensive backs <laughs> on the field every play i i struggle to see the bears doing much on the ground because they they just they're they're not good and they have a head coach who loves to run the football uh i i will say this matt Nagy is worse than matt lafleur when it comes to running the ball on early downs so he's worse than i i i don't think he's a good head coach at all i don't understand yeah, he's how on the coach of the year yeah well. i he i i don't understand how he won that award uh, when Matt Lafleur, you know, and then Matt Lafleur the next year, Matt Lafleur wasn't even three. considered, dude. He wasn't. And he's even still, considered. and he's not considered this year. And, and yeah, yet in the same vein, Aaron Rodgers is given no credit. You know, Rodgers is not getting MVP yeah. conversation, it's, and and that's the same reason they're giving Matt Lafleur is not in the conversation because he has Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't add up. It's because the Packers, you yeah. know, we're the Packers. The media doesn't give us any credit, but you know, Matt Nagy, he is. One of the worst coaches in the NFL, if you ask me. I mean, he's, you know, not to go too deep into this, but he's he's just a horrible leader. He has his locker room turn into a, a, a nightclub after regular season wins. What kind of coach does that? I mean, celebrate the, <laughs> the first time wins. he did that. 
the first time he did that, I knew, nah, this guy. <laughs> this, I mean, club dub. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, celebrate wins that matter. Matt Lafleur. If you know, I'm sure after we win the Super Bowl, Matt Lafleur is going to say, you know, we've got a lot of work to, you know, we got a lot of work to do. He's that kind of guy. He's going to go one and zero every week and and celebrate nothing until the job is done. That's Matt Lafleur's mantra. He, yeah, you know, we haven't teams, we haven't won anything yet in Matt Lafleur's eyes. Usually, the teams that do the post game uh, locker room celebrations, they they usually don't end up winning the Super Bowl. That's a common theme, wouldn't you notice it's that? A, it's a trend for sure. Uh, my favorite Matt, Matt Nagy meme is the. On his play sheet, have you seen this? It says BU in all caps with a period. Everyone loves to show that. They used to, at least. That was a big deal coming off their 13-3 and season in 2018. BU. Oh, man. Man, Aggie. Uh, Bears fans do not like him either. So Yeah, well, he, his play calling's bad. And, oh, he's you know, I don't know if he'll be calling plays. I guess not. You know, they took the yeah, play he calling. Gave up, he, he gave that up a week, a week or two ago, and it looks like he's not going to – I don't know. Maybe he'll take it back. I don't know anything about that at this point, but um, regardless, the Bears just have no talent on offense. It starts yeah. at quarterback. The O-line is terrible. Well, they have talent. They have talent. Well, Allen Robinson and then a bunch of nobodies, really. I mean, who's who's out there for them? Their Anthony O-line Miller. is bad. Anthony Miller, good. he's not talented, though. He's not like a guy that you have to worry about. Allen Robinson yeah, is their right. only yeah. legitimate offensive weapon that, you know, like Josh Jackson can probably take care of Anthony Miller. Like, I'm yeah. – I'm, you know, Devontae Adams will be on Allen Robinson, Kevin King, whoever. But, you know, the guys like him, they're more guys that you point to. A casual fan will say that's Allen Robinson and he's good. Uh, but nobody's going to go out and say Anthony Miller is a guy we have to worry about. So, yeah. from, I mean, it starts at quarterback. They have no O-line and, and all that combined puts us in a good spot, I feel like, on defense. Uh, but you never know. With the running game that we've struggled against, you know, pretty much everybody, uh, We'll have to see what happens. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we struggled against the run. I just wouldn't be surprised. But our offense has to make up for it by playing great against a tough defense in the cold at night, uh, primetime game. So things are going to have to uh, pick up here heavily and quickly. Yeah, that's the only. That's really the only path to victory I can see for the Bears is if they just totally shut us down on offense and they're able to win a 17-10 a to 10 game, you know. And this is really a tough defense. They're they're maybe not as good as they were in 2018, but uh, they still have a lot of the same players. And uh, the last time we, they're coming off of a bye, and the last time we saw them play was against the Vikings, where they they very easily could have won that game. They shut the they shut down the Vikings' offense for most of that game, which is an offense that had been rolling. We saw them lose to Dallas this week, but uh, they ran right over us. You know, Justin Jefferson playing great, Thielen playing great, and the Bears really really played tough with them. So if if the Bears defense can shut us down in any similar fashion, then it might be a little too close for comfort, but I really cannot imagine the Bears pulling it off. Well, look, it's a divisional game. Any team can beat anybody at this point in any game. It's just like you have to be prepared for all scenarios. We have to come out on offense and play well. I mean, yes, it's a divisional game against a team that we've played a lot. Rodgers has a lot of familiarity with. He's a lot of guys on that defense, you know, he's faced many times. So, you know, there's a lot of different little factors that are involved here that will make it a bit of a closer game than I imagine. Uh, and may, that maybe it should be even, but I still think we can win this game. And it starts with us making the adjustments that I talked about. And if we do that, 
will be able to close the gaps that that might have been there in recent weeks. You know, we saw what we did against the Colts defense that was, at the time, people regarded that defense as the number one in the league. And statistically, it was that as well, yardage-wise. Um, and the Chicago defense is no joke. They've got great pass rushers. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got good corners. Kyle Fuller, uh, Eddie Jackson is a all-pro type safety. You can rattle off names on that defense, and those are the talented pieces that they've got. So it's going to be a challenge. You know, the Colts defense has less talent and more just overall as a defense is, is really good. Uh, the Bears defense scares you because they've got talent all over the place. I didn't even mention Cleo Mack yet. Um, yeah, Cleo so Mack. he's a game wrecker. And so just all of that combined, the, the level of talent they have is, is scary. And Akeem Hicks in the middle, there I could name every, every single player on that defense is an elite player. Uh, so you have to worry about that. Yeah, this is a game that I'm trusting Matt LaFleur to scheme his way to victory in. I think I think this could be another really impressive game from the Packers offense. And another thing, getting Alan Lazard back, who was on a snap count in Indy, we were up two touchdowns at halftime, so understandably he didn't play much after that point. Um, and he really didn't get a full number of number two receiver snaps. So getting him back into the fold, getting him healthy, I think could mean big things for this offense because just him being in the game, uh, obviously it's not a direct correlation, but uh, the Packers looked a lot better on offense than they had the previous week and uh, two weeks before then even against the Vikings. So uh, I'm excited about getting Lazard back. I'm excited about the way Aaron's playing. I'm excited about the way Devontae's playing, about their chemistry. So I really think, I, I say this every week, but how can you not? I really think this offense is going to continue to roll. Well, like I said, this defense, uh, I feel like it's trending in the right direction. We saw something that we haven't seen all season long in that first half, and that was just, that was promising to me. And the whole game, when you look at it, was promising. If if we don't turn the ball over one of those times, just let's say we take that Darius Shepard fumble away, we're probably winning that game. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, if we won that game, we were so close to winning that game. If we come out with a win, we're talking like we're the Super Bowl favorites right now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just feel really, really good about us as a team. I, I really like the squad. I love the you know the attitude of the whole team. It starts with Matt Lafleur and his leadership, and then it goes to the quarterback, and it goes down to the fifty third man. They all have the same mentality, and it's about winning the week and just doing whatever it takes. And I feel like we're really putting that on the field every week now. This Colts game was so heartbreaking, but in the end, I I said it before, I feel like it'll be more of a good thing than a bad thing when we're looking at what we're doing in the playoffs. It's going to be a lesson that we learn, and we're going to be glad that it happened because it's it's one of those games that you just it's it sucks so bad that you want to you want to make sure it never happens again. And I feel like we were so close to to being able to say that we could win this game and and we can really beat anybody in the NFL if we just gotta we just gotta make those couple adjustments and we're going to learn from this. And I really think we're going to be in a good spot. Yep, me too. Me too, Ron. And let's go a little bit big picture here. Let's look at the NFC playoff picture. So we were number one seed last week. Obviously, we lost. The Saints won. So we fall to 7-3. They go to 8-2, and two, and they are now the number one seed. They are only one game ahead of us because we do hold the tiebreaker. So it's it's getting pretty competitive here in the NFC. What are your thoughts on how this is all going to shake out? 
Well, yeah, I mean, talk about competitive. There is just a litany of good football teams in this NFC, um, and so many wild card, uh, wild card teams that look like they could win any game against these teams that are leading their division. Uh, you got the Bucks who are on and off. Tom Brady is really where they do or die. Um, and, and they look, you know, they obviously dominated us. I don't know how that will go, you know, in a, in a second game. But, um, you know, the Saints, they're without Drew Brees right now, but they beat the Falcons. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens with them. As, as you know, Drew Brees is going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, so we'll see. But if they can sustain that level of play, we're still in a good spot in the NFC. But I'll say it quickly. We have a win over the number one team in the NFC, the New Orleans Saints. That's the tiebreaker right there, and that's really the only one that that's the only one that we have, and and that's the only one that's going to matter for us. So if we get the same record as the Saints at the end of the year, we'll get the bye. Uh, Seattle still has to play some good teams, you know. The Saints still have to play the Chiefs. If we win these next six games, and it's not that unreasonable, we've got the we've got the the Bears twice. We've got the Lions, we've got the Panthers, we've got the Eagles, and we've got the Titans. The Titans will be the toughest game week 16. But if we learn from this Colts game and put it to use in this Titans game, we can win that football game and we'll be sitting at 13 and 3 hopefully. In that scenario, we're going to win the we're going to win the bye. We're going to get that number 1 seed if that happens. Uh, but you see what the Rams are doing right now and if, if they get the 13 and 3, uh then we're talking about they are going to be the number 1 seed. But I, I, they still have to play the Cardinals twice. They still have to play the Seattle Seahawks again. So there's a lot of matchups that we don't have to have that these other teams, they're all having tiebreakers against each other. Uh, and the one thing that we had to do was beat the saints and we did that. And so I feel like we're in a really good spot. We just have to take care of business. Uh, and I feel good about where we're at. There's a lot of good teams in the NFC Griff, if you want to highlight some of those and, and talk about where you think we stand. Um, but you know, like I said, I feel good about where we're at. Yeah. It's funny how every single week, Bron, you, you ask me who are your top five teams in the NFC and every week it changes because every week it's all about who, who played well, who played bad in every week that changes the bucks. They beat us 38 to 10. They then lose 38 to three to the saints. Then they come back, put 42 on the Panthers and then they lose to the, the Rams where Tom Brady looks like in uh, a retirement home citizen um so it it's tough the rams right now are looking really promising their defense is really really strong they have a ton of good corners uh jalen ramsey darius williams both playing out of their minds right now that looks like a really tough defense to move the ball on and their offense not great jared goff not great but with that defense it it goes together perfectly uh, Aaron Donald, they look like the most. Mentioned. They look like the most complete team in the NFC at this point. We thought that was the. Uh, we thought that was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they're just so inconsistent, and their their defensive talent is kind of just not there. They don't have that same talent that a, a team like the Rams has, where they like you said they've got guys like John Johnson who's playing great football. They've got a good safety duo there. They've got like you said Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers. They've got guys, so they're impressive. Um, but like you said, then the quarterback thing comes into play and Jared Goff doesn't look great this year. He's not a great quarterback, but then they've got these receivers. They've got Cooper cup, Robert Woods, and then they've got a decent running game where they've got a bit of a revolving door there. Their O-line took a big hit with Andrew Whitworth not being there. Now he's out. So we'll see. I mean, can the Rams sustain this play by, you know, against the Cardinals twice against the Seahawks again, uh, you know, against some other good teams, the 49ers. 
I don't know. I mean, those are all tough teams. Can they beat all these teams? It's going to be tough. Uh, so I feel like our schedule, um, our level of play, our quarterback, all these things combined, I feel like puts us in a good spot compared to these other teams who are going to be beating each other up a little bit. Uh, I think it'll get, put us in a good spot to possibly get this number one seed. Yeah, it, I think the Packers and the Saints are really showing to be the most complete teams in the NFC. Every other team, they've got some kind of fatal flaw. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, their defense is atrocious, horrible. They literally will lose them games, just their defense alone. The Bucks, you never know what you're getting with them. One week they're great, one week they suck. Tom Brady is not playing very well right now. Too many mouths to feed potentially on that offense. Uh uh, then you look at the Cardinals. I don't think they're efficient enough on offense. Kyler Murray is a great player. He's not an MVP candidate, though, because he cannot. he's not efficient enough throwing the football. He's great on the ground, I will say that, but throwing the football, it's not all there for him. And then the Rams, I guess you could put the Rams up there with the Saints and the Packers, uh, but I don't know. It's just Jared Goff, I, I don't trust him at all as a quarterback. He really feels like... Uh, who's a good comparison for Jared Goff where it's like he's great when everything's going well, but he's horrible when uh, he's like he's like the perfect median quarterback, in my opinion. Like people always say this. It used to be like Andy Dalton. Like, is he better or worse than Andy Dalton? I feel like that's where uh, uh, Jared Goff is right now as just the the most average quarterback where uh, if if everything's not going well for him, he's really struggling. And then, you know, the NFC East is just a joke. So, uh yeah, we haven't even talked about that NFC East, and one Who of those cares? teams is going to get a home game. I know, <laughs> one of those cares? teams is going to end up getting a home game with five wins, maybe even yeah. four wins. I mean, that's insanity, considering the Packers are sitting here at 7-3, and three and we're trying to do everything we can to get in. Chicago's 5-5 five and five already, and one of these teams is going to win, the, win their division with four or five wins. It's, it's really remarkable. But with, the, when, you know, with these, some of these teams, like you said, Jared Goff, he's, he's nothing – that you're scared of at quarterback. He's, he's just not that guy. Uh, with what we have, we've got the quarterback. Our defense is capable to, of, of being great at times. And then we've obviously got our offense is maybe the best in football when we're doing things right. Seattle, we didn't mention Seattle a lot. Uh, it's because Russell Wilson's turning the ball over at a really high rate right now, and that's costing them games. They're you know on a bit of a struggling situation. They've won their last game, but they're still not in a, a great spot. Uh, so there's a lot of things moving around here in this NFC. And after this week, it's probably going to look. There's going to be the the contenders are going to kind of start to separate themselves. Uh, there's a lot of games this week that look like they should be easy wins for these contenders. But you know, any given Sunday, one of these teams could just you know lose a tough game. The Saints play the Broncos, and you know who knows if the if the Saints lose that game, then all of a sudden the whole NFC is just shifted around. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and we're just gonna have to do our best to to take care of business and and win win every game every week. Yep, absolutely. It's every game matters. It's so important in this conference, especially this season. Uh, just to just to real quick circle back to the Chicago game. Just what are your predictions for how this game's gonna shake out, and how do you think it's gonna go, bro? Well, I'm expecting a, a close game and, and not, I mean, it could, look, we could we could see a blowout. Who knows? Look, Chicago's not playing great football. Their defense is really the only, the bright spot that they've got, and they're still not winning games. They've lost four straight. Who knows? This could be a blowout, but I'm still going to go with a close game. It's going to be on primetime. We've got big division rival game, and those are always close, I feel like. So I expect 
um, something in the range of where the Packers can get 30 on the board, but maybe the Bears start to find a little bit of offense. Who knows? I'm going to go 31 to 20. So a bit of a close game, but you know we'll still get the win. A little bit of a comfortable one. Um, and this will be our propeller to who we are as a team. It'll separate us in the division. Uh, it'll give us a, a full three-game lead. Um, and, and that'll kind of uh, send us into the playoffs type situation where we'll lock down the North within a few games after that and, and we'll start preparing like every week is a playoff game. Yeah, for me, this kind of feels like a, a game where it's close throughout, but then the Packers start to pull away at the end. You know, like first half, it's it's tight, it's tight. We got a, like a field goal lead, whatever. And then, you know, as time goes on, Chicago can't move the ball and uh, we end up we end up putting more points on the board and win it. And it looks, it looks like more of a blowout than it really was. That's just where I stand from a, a game flow perspective. But, you know, I expect the, the final score to be something like 35, 17, not too much of a blowout, but uh, you know, Chicago really didn't have the talent to match up with the Packers. That's how I expect this to go. And uh, I'm hoping it goes like that. All right. That's going to do it uh, for this week's episode of the today entitled town Packers podcast. Uh, we appreciate you for listening. Uh, this is going to be a great game. Hopefully, it's a big one, uh, so it'll be exciting to watch. Um, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Go Pack Go. Thanks, everybody. Go Pack Go.